I'm Pastor Michael Ansman, and this is the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. I'd like to welcome you and to thank you for listening to our Sunday morning sermons. I hope that they're a blessing to you in your walk with our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what we have for today. This morning, we are finishing up our journey through the book of Exodus. And while we didn't take it chapter by chapter, or else we would still be going on, probably through the end of the year, the next We have traveled with Exodus through the lectionary, and we've looked at significant stories and events in the life of not only Moses, but also the life of the children of Israel as they journey towards the mountain of God. And so we deal this morning from Exodus 33, verses 12 to 23, Moses' intercession and his request for God to show him God's glory. Now, have you ever had the experience when you meet someone and there's just something about them that you can't quite put your finger on? Some people have like a magnetic charisma and they're able to get different people with different beliefs to to agree towards a, a common goal, right? Some people just have something about them that even though they might be personally reprehensible, they are just able to get people together and build a team and get things done. And and I think, not to speak ill of the dead, but I think Steve Jobs was a good example of that, who by all accounts in his professional life treated his staff horribly, but was able to drive innovation in a way that was unique uh, to his company. And, and sometimes clergy might even reflect that too. You know, I remember many, many, many years ago, you know, there was a, a pastor who I worked for, and uh, even though he had very uh, major issues uh, with his temper and with anger, um, he could cast vision, right? Like nobody else that I knew could. Like even sometimes you would find yourself intensely disliking him in private, but then hearing him speak, you would be like, yes, yes, we are all going together towards this common goal. People sometimes just have this charisma about them. There's just something uh, about them that, that we can connect with and identify with and uh, makes us want to follow. And uh, me personally, there's uh, and this transfers also right not just to the business world but also to the spiritual there's a, a an older priest that i know and uh, every i don't meet with him very often or see him very often but whenever i run into him somewhere or whenever i see him somewhere or whenever we're able to to get together uh, every time i'm 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 we i always have the same thought every time you know i know a lot about god But that man right there, he actually knows God. And I don't say that to put myself down. It's more of a, I see it more as as an encouragement, as a motivator for me to maybe start to go deeper into the life of prayer and reading of scripture and spiritual disciplines. There's just something about him that displays something of the presence of God working itself in and through him, spreading to others. And in today's reading from the book of Exodus, our last one in the series, we're going to take a look at the promise of the presence of God 
and at what it means for us as his people. What is it about us as God's people that marks us, that makes us different than everybody else? Which is an unpopular thing to say right off the bat. I'll, I'll acknowledge that because in our day and age, everyone wants to be the same. You know, like there's a Disney show that Isaac likes to watch and uh, there's a song that they sing and the whole song is, you know, we're different, but we're all the same. And in some ways, yes, kind of, but in, in major ways, no, that's not quite true. So right before we get to chapter 33, which was the reading today, 33, 12 to 23, something very, very bad has happened, right? We talked about the Ten Commandments last week, but we know what we didn't do. We didn't talk about what happened afterwards. So Moses goes up the mountain, he receives the Ten Commandments, and he's gone for a longer time than expected. And while he's away, the people get antsy, and they say to Aaron, his brother, Moses is, like, he's probably dead now, Aaron, so why don't you make us gods that can go before us, right? Gods that can lead us out along the way. So right off the bat, you should think to yourself, what's the problem with this? Well, why would you want a God that you've made with your own hands to lead you out when you've just been led by a pillar of fire at night and a pillar of cloud in the daytime? What possible God could compare? But as we know, the human heart, as John Calvin reminded us, is an idol factory. The human heart is sinful and forgetful. And Aaron listens to the people and he makes this golden calf and they promptly worship it and begin to revel in idolatrous hedonism. And I'll just leave it there because when, in, I think it's in the King James, it says the people rose up to play. And when you go study out what that word to play means, you can get to some pretty uh, interesting places. I'll just leave it at that. And it's interesting, there's a, a thing there, people, it says they took off their jewelry and they cast it into the fire. And Moses comes down and they see this. He destroys the calf, he grinds it to powder, and then he puts it in water and he makes everybody drinks it. And then he calls on the Levites to gird your swords and just start to cleanse the camp with the sword. And they do, and a plague breaks out as well. And we ask ourselves, why? And we have to understand that sin is something that taints the human soul, right? And the camp is God's people. And God, we see, dwells among his people. And the presence of God's holiness cannot abide the presence of willful and ongoing sin. So Moses intercedes for the people and God promises, God says, okay, only those who sinned against me are going to perish. And Moses, I want you to continue to lead the people to the mountain, which leads into the conversation that Moses has with God. Now, at the very beginning of this chapter, which we didn't read, God tells Moses, hey, man, I want you to still bring the people to the land I promised them. And I'm even going to send an angel to help drive out the inhabitants of the land because that's what I promised. But I'm, gonna, I'm not going to go with you, okay? Because if I stay with you, and if I continue to go with you to the land, then everybody is going to die on the way there. Everyone's going to be consumed, because y'all can't help but sin. Sorry. So I'm going to stay here. You can go. I'm going to send an angel with you. He's going to help you drive out the inhabitants, but I'm just going to chill here, because if I keep going with you, it's not going to turn out well for you. 
which is, when you think about it, a gracious offer from God. A gracious offer from God. And it's interesting here, you know, we've seen the angel of the Lord throughout the book of Exodus, right? In the burning bush and in the pillar of fire and all that stuff, right? But he doesn't use that language here. As an Old Testament scholar named Heiser, it's his opinion, and I agree with him, when God says, I'm going to send an angel, he's not referring to the same one that appeared in the bush and in the pillar of fire, because that angel is actually the manifest presence of Yahweh in human form, which leads Moses to say, as we we read here in the text, well, who's going to go with us? Who's going to go up with us? I don't know this angel. <laughs> Just some gentleman's his name, Bill. I don't know. What is he going to do? God says, don't worry, I'll send him with you. And the people hear this, right? And they mourn and they take off, it says, their ornaments, which I think is a reference to how the calf was made, right? They took off their ornaments and their jewelry and they use that gold to make the calf. They're now symbolically removing these ornaments, representative now of sin, and they're casting it down in repentance. The people do, th- do this, and God basically says, okay, look, you go stand in time out, right, and think about what you've done. <laughs> there is then here a, a promise, right? You go, I'm going to stay here, my angel's going to go with you. We have here a promise almost of a divorcing of God's accompanying presence with his people, which will then reduce them as a people. And God's presence not going with them takes away the one thing that differentiates them from all of the other nations. So let's talk a little bit about Moses' intercession. So Moses begins to intercede for the people, and he tells Yahweh, Yahweh is the name of God, right? So I'm going to reference Yahweh and God throughout throughout the sermon, and so you should understand those to be the same person. He says, Yahweh, you told me to bring the people to this mountain. But who's going to go with me to help? Because your presence is going to be with me. I don't know who this angel is. Who's going to help me? And this is interesting, right? Because he already has help, right? He has Aaron, even though Aaron really messed up big time by listening to the people. He also has Joshua. And we talked about how the angel of the Lord would go with them. Yahweh himself isn't going to go. And if Yahweh isn't going to go along, then no one, like, what's the point? Moses is saying then who can go before us in the same way? The answer is obviously no one. Moses points out that God knows Moses and that Moses has God's favor. So in light of the fact that God knows him and that the fact that Moses has found favor in the sight of God, that God knows him, Moses then says, God, consider these people too. Consider these people. He intercedes for them. Because he says, how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people? Moses intercedes for the people. God says, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. 
So Moses observes God's presence is what sets him and the people apart from all of the other people and nations of the world. And this presence is the mark of God's favor. So that, that favor shown to Moses will also be shown to the disobedient people. So my question is why? Why should Yahweh consider the people after what they just did and their great sin? And that's a really good question. And Yahweh responds to Moses' request by saying, because you have found favor with me, I'm going to grant your request, essentially. And the reason for God considering the people, even though they disobeyed and sinned greatly after their continual testing of Moses and Yahweh in the wilderness, is that God is merciful. As he tells Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And commentator White notes that this shows that God is revealed even more profoundly in his immutable, transcendent goodness. God is good. God is merciful. And God's mercy, even on the undeserving, highlights his character, his goodness, his love, to a continually unbelieving, disobedient, faithful people. Even when they were faithless, even when God said, I'm not going to go with you. He was still faithful to them enough to saying, I'm still going to send you some help. God's mercy and God's goodness. God's presence then will not be withdrawn from them. God will go with them. And then what we see in Exodus 34, Exodus 34 is what's called the renewal of the covenant, right? Because the, the tablets of stone that Moses brings down from the mountain, right? There was that. And then before that, they were all consecrated together at the mountain, right? That was all the people covenanting, covenanting together with God. Right after this leads to this beautiful renewal of the covenant. And Moses goes back up the mountain. And what does he come back with? He comes back with the Ten Commandments again, <laughs> written on tablets of stone. Because the first ones, like we've seen the Ten Commandments with Chuck Heston, right? He, he threw them down and they broke. He had to go get some new ones. That God made him. Then Moses asks something interesting. Moses says, show me your glory. Show me your glory. After Moses identifies the people as God's people, as Moses asks the favor that he has found in God's sight, if that could be shown to them, he says to God, show me your ways. And then he says, show me your glory. Show me your glory. When I was in the Pentecostal world, we would sing songs like that all the time. Like, show me your glory. Lord, let the fire come down. Fill us, Holy Spirit, light this place anew. Let your glory fill the atmosphere. The mountains are trembling at the sound of your name. We would sing these songs all the time, over and over and over again. Could you imagine what would have happened if God actually honored that request? I would, be, I would be dead a long time ago, along with most of the people that I worship with. We would be burned up, consumed by the, the beauty and the majesty and the holiness of God. We would all have instantly died. And God says something very interesting. He says, I will make all of my goodness pass before you. And I will proclaim my name. But you cannot see my face and live. 
and a commentator named Moyne, I'm, I'm not quoting directly, he, he, he gives three things about what it means. I'm sort of summarizing here when Moses asks to see God's glory and why no one can. He says that we're morally unworthy, so we need purification before we can see God. He says that the unmediated gaze into the essence of God is beyond human capability to see, experience, and understand. And he also says then it might also just not be the right time. And so God hiding Moses in the cleft of the rock, this is for Moses' protection. But God says, I'm going to pass by, but you're only going to see my back. Now we know God is uncreated, right? God doesn't have a back. This is what's called anthropomorphic language, and that is language that ascribes human form to a being or thing not human. It's something that we use to describe the indescribable, like it's imagery that we see in Scripture, right? We know God doesn't have, God doesn't have wings like a chicken, but when the prophet says you're going to gather your people under your wings like a mother hen, we know God is not a giant chicken. That's called anthropomorphic language. We have no way of knowing what this experience was like for Moses. And this experience of God's glory, though, is likened essentially to light. And, 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 and this experience of God's light, his essence, has been called by Christian teachers throughout the ages who may have had, like Moses, an experience of it as the uncreated light. And this uncreated light is what our hearts are searching for and yearning for. Roman Catholic theologians would probably call this experience of seeing the uncreated light as the beatific vision. Orthodox Christians would probably call it theosis or, or, or the deification, right? These are terms being used to describe the indescribable, right? The union of the soul with God as the goal of our salvation and the experience that one can have right now as we progress towards that. St. Gregory of Nyssa refers to this too. I think in his homily, his homily on the life of Moses as our going ever deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into that light, into that union with God and never seeing the end of it because God is infinite and infinitely good. And what's especially beautiful about this story of the promise of God's presence is that it is extended to us through Jesus Christ. The author of Hebrews calls Jesus the effulgence, a very old word, right? The effulgence. Or if you wanted to say, it's radiance, right? Radiance is a great word, but effulgence is so much better, right? The, Jesus is the effulgence. He is the radiance of the glory of God. So that glory that no one can see and live is mediated to us, not through Moses, but through Jesus Christ. St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, 5 through 6, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servant for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of the darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That glory Moses could only see from behind, covered behind the rock, right? And I, think, I don't think it's a stretch to say that that rock maybe is Christ, right? Metaphorically speaking, beholding the glory, the essence of God that no one can see and live, mediated to Moses, being hidden in the rock through Jesus Christ, 
the Word made flesh, God becoming human. The glory Moses could only see from behind, covered by the rock, is given to us in full view one day through our Lord Jesus Christ, who saves us and fills us with his Spirit, who forgives us even though we are undeserving, who makes us his own people journeying through the wilderness of this life. So beyond what we've already learned, and I think we've learned quite a bit, there's a few lessons I think also we can draw from this episode in the life of Moses and the people of Israel and its ongoing applicability to us. I think the first thing we could say is that we are distinct. We are distinct, right? Like Moses pointed out to God in their conversation. St. Peter puts it like this in 1 Peter 2.9, you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. We are, brothers and sisters, a set-apart people. And what sets us apart is God's ongoing presence with us that we have received through Jesus Christ. So that means, and this not, might not be a popular thing to say, that there is something that differentiates us as the people of God from the people of whatever surrounding culture or nation that we live among. There is something that separates us. There is something that sets us apart, which is what holiness is, being set apart, being cleansed and set apart. And that difference is Christ. And it's our task to make him known. It is our task to make him known. We are set apart for God's purposes. Like the children of Israel, God's presence in us and with us and among us and over us is something that makes us different. I would say it's the only thing that differentiates us that makes us distinct from anybody else. And the beauty about that is it's not limited to just white people. It's not, in, it's not limited to just black people. It's not, it, it's not limited to people from Asia. It's not limited to people from Russia or Greece or Hawaii or the Ukraine. <laughs> what makes us distinct, regardless of whatever background we come from, God has brought us together creating a new humanity in Christ and Christ then has brought us together and has separated us and caused us to be distinct and differentiated from all of the other peoples of the world. But that doesn't turn into an insular thing. That then results in us bringing other people in from outside, other, other witnessing, sharing the love of Jesus Christ with people of different nations, and yes, people of different religions, because that's kind of unpopular nowadays too, because the idea is, well, we're all kind of drinking from the same well, so it doesn't really matter how we get there as long as we kind of get there. That's not a Christian belief, brothers and sisters. And you, and you know, that's part of the reason why I don't understand, right, this call in some churches to offer communion to unbelievers. One, it's dangerous for them, St. Paul says, if you receive the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ in an unworthy manner, you eat and drink judgment upon yourself. And two, I think it flattens all distinctions. Because the operative idea is that any distinctions that exist 
might make someone feel unwelcome or uncomfortable. And I understand that. And I understand, as a pastor, I understand that pastoral heart, right? I understand sometimes that, that <sighs> I would love for people, I would love for everyone to be able to come to the table. And I'm not talking about quizzing people who come in right, and saying, uh, no, I'm not saying like you have to pass this test, right? But we don't offer the holy things to those who have not been set apart. Anyway. I think the second thing we need to learn is that sin has consequences. And I, and I think it's fair to say that ongoing sin results in the glory of God departing from us. And I think this is true of both people and institutions. Even after one is baptized and brought into the church, constant, unrepentant, willful sin can and does turn people away from God. Because what you're doing is, is you're taking the chain of sin and death that Jesus Christ struck off of your ankles and you're sitting down and you're putting it back around your, your ankles. The shackles that Christ took off of you, you willfully put them back on. And you can't continue to fill with sin the spaces that God has cleansed. In regards to institutions, sin can lead to God's glory lifting and departing. Look what's going on right now in certain avenues of the Roman Catholic Church and the scandals that have been rocking them lately. Is it a stretch to think that their loss of members and influence in South America to Pentecostalism isn't related to the degree to which they've turned a blind eye to their own sin? I don't think that's outside the realm of possibility. Is it outside the realm of possibility to think that, uh, that evangelicals, conservative evangelicals, have been losing people because for a very, very long time to be Christian was equated to being a Republican and Republican politics? Possibly. Possibly. And in mainline denominations like ours, the UCC and the Episcopalians and the ELCA and the PCUSA, we have continued to hemorrhage members with no end in sight. Is it possible that it's a result of our uncritical embrace of just about every single far-left ideology? And could that have an effect on, on our calling as God's people? Are we losing our identity as distinct, as distinct, differentiated people if we value everything those who are now non-distinct believe and value? No one, <laughs> I hope you realize from this sermon, I use very specific examples because I don't want to say that I'm favoring one group over the other because every group deals with its own set of problems that they need to be repented of. Are we losing our identity as God's called out people? Ongoing sin results in the glory of God departing, the identifier of his goodness. And I think that departing presence is a judgment against our idolatry, wherever you find yourself. Left, middle, right, on the theological spectrum. We're all guilty, and we're all experiencing probably God's, God's judgment. 
And, and just like the people I mentioned earlier, right, there's some good stuff too here, though, so I don't want to send you out on just a negative note, right? The presence of Christ, right, is given to us through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives in us, right? When I baptized Sophia the other day, I sealed her with the Spirit, I laid hands on her, made the sign of the cross, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit and marked as Christ's own forever. That means that something actually happened, that the Holy Spirit came in and set Sophia apart. And for all of us who are in Christ, right, that means that the Spirit of God dwells in us and flows through us and lives and resides in us and marks us as set apart, that marks us as holy, that marks us as someone to be used for the purposes of God, right? St. Paul even said, heard from the reading from 1 Thessalonians, that he didn't just come to them in word, but also through power, through demonstrations of the Spirit, the preaching of, of, of God's word, the ministry to the sick and to the suffering, right? These are all things that, that Christ empowers us to do. And so we are set apart not to create communes, not to, to create fortresses and put up barbed wire and to say no one can come in. We might need to make communes. We might need to make havens in the middle of an increasingly hostile culture to Christianity, but havens and communes with the doors are wide open for everyone to come in. And I'm not talking about becoming fundamentalists and becoming so completely withdrawn from the world that we create our own subcultures. No, no, no. We are distinct, we are called, we are separated as God's people so we can then show the faithfulness that has been extended to us as sinful human beings as we have repented and as we repent over and over again and continually turn to Christ, right? That grace and that love and that mercy that's shown to us, it's our job then to draw people in, to say, this isn't just for me, this is for you. Regardless of what race they are, regardless of where they come from, regardless of what happened in their lives, the goodness, the love, the grace of God is for them too. And that God is calling them to be drawn in, to receive his presence, and to become his people. To become his people. And so let us then, brothers and sisters, let us then live in that. Let us then express that. Let us then <laughs> proclaim that. Not just through what we say, which we need to do, but also through how we live. It's both together. Let us live as God's called out people in this hostile world. And so to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the glory of God given to us. Be all glory together with his Father who is from everlasting and is all holy good and life-creating spirit. Amen. Thanks for joining us for today's podcast. This is Pastor Mike Landsman, and if you have any questions about anything you heard or would like some more information about our church, feel free to email me, malandsman at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Zion's Stone UCC or our website zionstoneucc.com we have a GoFundMe set up as well for some repairs that we need gofundme.com slash save zionstoneucc 
As we continue to navigate the fallout from the coronavirus, I'd like to thank everyone for their continued generosity. It always amazes me how generous you've been. And I pray that the blessings of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit would be with you and would keep you. Amen.